0: Deep in the dark, the great beast walks. Beneath the pale moon, he silently stalks. He draws near unto you with inhuman speed. Night has fallen, and the windigo must feed. He is like none of the other creatures. He moves too quickly to make out his features. He hunts with a power like none ever seen. Every one of his senses impeccably keen. He once was a man, starving in the winter's cold. His story is one that has long been told when the deprivation of food became more than he could stand. He succumbed to the hunger and fed upon his fellow man. The effects of the meat, as the legend goes, gave him power untold over all his foes, and soon he transformed from man into beast, and forevermore on men he did feast. Song of the Wendigo by Zachary E. Tenney Achen Chinu, Kewak Wendigo this evil being goes by many names and is seep into the culture of many Algonquian tribes. It takes on many forms, but all versions of the creature have one thing in common: it is hungry. Recent works have brought this Native American legend into the limelight where it has firmly established itself in popular culture. Now let's sink our teeth into the legend of the Wendigo on this ravenous episode of Snipe Hunt.
1: Welcome back to Snipe Hunt, Frightening Folklore. I'm Gary Clevenstein.
0: And I'm Darren Young.
1: And today, we are bringing you the Wendigo. This is our first official listener-suggested topic, so we would like to thank loyal listener Jamie Abbott for the suggestion. Thanks, Mom. And if you would like us to do an episode on a certain topic, please email your suggestion to snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to do it. The only criteria being that the topic is strange and researchable. So before we get started on this episode, a small disclaimer. We understand that the oral legends and stories of America's indigenous people can have certain implications and meanings for their respective tribes. When we analyze these stories, we might not grasp the intended message, if there even is one. But if we get anything wrong, we would be happy to hear from our listeners and correct ourselves in a later episode. You will hear the term Algonquian, which is a language group used by various tribes from which the Wendigo comes from. We will be also using the term Native American to refer to the indigenous people of North America as a whole. Also, this episode contains descriptions of graphic violence of a disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Okay, uh, so what is a Wendigo? To simplify the concept of a Wendigo, it is an evil spirit or monster that takes the appearance of something resembling a zombie. It is a creature of many faces that takes both physical and spiritual form. Basil Johnson, a teacher and scholar from the Ojibwe tribe from Ontario, provides this description. The wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion is the ash gray of death, and its eyes push back deep into their sockets. The wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips that it had were chattered and bloody, Unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. The Wendigo is hungry so hungry that it will eat its own lips away, leaving only bloody tatters that reveal jagged teeth. It is a creature that possesses a literal heart of ice. The size of the Wendigo can or Wendigo the size of the Wendigo can vary from being human sized to being described as many times larger than a human. Wait, hold on, is hold it, on before we go any further. Yeah. I want to listen to this. Ojibwe. Okay, good. Oh, you got
1: it right. Hell yeah, Ojibwe. Ojibwe. The Ojibwe tribe continues the description. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes, the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. In most cases, the monster used to be a human that was transformed into a Wendigo, which can happen in a variety of ways depending on the narrative. One way is by committing the cultural taboo of murder or cannibalism. This is the most prominent way, as the primary goal of the Wendigo is to eat all of the people, and it's always hungry. Another way is to be overpowered by greed, as the Wendigo is greedy by nature. A very common way is to be forcibly possessed by the Wendigo spirit. You and those around you may not realize that you are possessed until it's too late. The last way of transforming into a Wendigo is being cursed by a
0: shaman. So as long as you didn't cannibalize anyone, or become a greedy prick, or piss off any shamans, and avoid Wendigo spirits, uh, your chances of becoming a Wendigo are pretty slim. Madness, the fear of madness, aggression, and the craving for human flesh are usually the signs of one turning into the monster. The Wendigo does have weaknesses according to many narratives, the primary one being familial bonds. Often in Wendigo stories, these family bonds were crucial in either avoiding the creature or weakening it enough to kill it. Another weakness is, interestingly enough, is uh, kitchen utensils. In many stories of the legends, kettles have a symbolic power over the creature and often plays a role in the Wendigo's demise. In one such narrative, the monster was killed with a grinding stone, which is also used for cooking. Uh, women are almost always involved in these stories, although women aren't always empowered in these narratives. They often play a key part in killing the creatures, and at many times, even the killing the wendigo itself. Almost all these stories have overarching themes that could be applied to many aspects of Native American life and the dangers that threatened it. But the most common way to kill a wendigo is with an ax. Good old <laughs> traditional ax to the head. I think they'll kill most things, not just a <laughs> wendigo. Uh, according to some accounts, those suffering from being possessed by a wendigo could be cured, and they had one good method of doing that, by force-feeding a ton of hot grease to the victim. I do that to myself all the time. Yeah, right? I mean, you just so go, th- go through the drive through and you <laughs> get all that for a fair price. <laughs> this grease would often be made with bear fat, deer tallow, and sturgeon oil. One account records this procedure on a woman on the verge of becoming windigo. wendigo. After they forced the grease down her throat, she began to vomit up huge chunks of ice and soon went back to her normal self. So I'm guessing the ice being the sign of the Wendigo, considering they have a heart of ice,
1: Yeah.
0: literal heart of ice. Right. Oh man. But wouldn't the, the grease? Wouldn't hot grease melt ice? Well, see, it's sort figuratively of figuratively it, It's sort of a supernatural ice. So oh. it could be figurative or it could be literal because I don't. I don't think ice is supposed to. Be, I think being in your body would be enough to melt the ice right. anyway. <laughs> but yeah, the hot grease would certainly help, and uh, apparently in this case it did. Right. Wendigos could be cured or killed, but that didn't
1: make them any less terrifying. One of the more interesting yet gruesome stories of a Wendigo slain involves—you got this wissa Wisa-kech- w- Ketchok. Yes, Whiskaetchok. That, pretty Whiskaetchok. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise known as Whiskey Jack. I like that. That. Like, yeah, it's yeah, a little no. bit easier. Someone was like, hey, "You know what? We're just." just going to call you Whiskey Jack. Uh, He is a Cree folk hero and trickster deity. We will call him Whiskey Jack, because that's an English corruption of his traditional name, so our tongues won't explode trying to pronounce it correctly every time. This story comes from the book Traditional Narratives of the Rock Cree Indians by Robert Brightman, published by the Canadian Museum of Civilization. Whiskey Jack was traveling through the wilderness and came upon the terrifying Wendigo, the monster ordered Whiskey Jack to gather seven branches so when the wendigo killed him, it could roast his severed body over fire. Whiskey Jack had no choice, so he started to collect the branches, crying as he worked. He then stumbled on his friend the weasel, and then <laughs>
0: That's not <a> typo. <laughs> that, that's how it is in the story. <laughs> he came up on his friend the weasel and Jack came up with a plan. <laughs> Are you are you not friends with any weasels, Gary? I don't know. All
1: right.
0: I think you would know. I would. <laughs> Some of my
1: friends are weasel-like. <laughs> Close uh, enough, right? Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Carrying out Jack's plan, the weasel jumped into the wendigo's anus and traveled through its body until it reached the creature's icy heart and killed it. The weasel drowned in the blood as a result. Luckily, Whiskey Jack was able to bring his friend back to life and turn the weasel as white as snow, with a little black tip at the end of its tail as a memento of the brave deed. In this story, it is a small and seemingly weak being that overcomes the monster, like David and Goliath, except a lot more disgusting. Anus.
0: <laughs> and disgusting it was. So, pretty sure there's something beyond... Uh, of just jumping into the windigos. So, well,
1: this is this has to be talking about. Like, it has to be a literal
0: weasel. Yes.
1: For some reason, I was thinking like, "Hey, that's my friend. We call him Weasel." <laughs>
0: hey, it's Weasel. Hey, it's
1: Weasel. You know,
0: reminds me of Breaking Bad, with his friends had like nicknames like Badger. Right. right that's what I was
1: thinking. And then I was like, whenever it was like jumped
0: up the ant, I'm like,
1: <laughs> "Wait, hold on." I had this way, like was no. trying to picture this. No, it was an
0: actual animal weasel, and you know. Him being like sort of a deity was able to gotcha contact yeah. make or you know talk with the weasel and he's like hey I got a great plan the weasel is like I think we I think there's a million different ways we could go <laughs> yeah, about you, this. You
1: sure there is not a, another way we can do this?
0: <laughs> so one of the things I looked when I was reading about this very well researched book because you know the Wendigo often was a representation of threats to Native American life. So in this case, uh, the threat being uh, sexual violence, being the weasel jumped up. Obviously, yeah. it didn't elaborate too much more than that. So that was all I was able to get to it. But I guess it's good that it represents something. Or maybe they're like, remember like they were they were just making the story and like you know, jumped in the window, goes anus, and they all laughed around the camera. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just for humor. Pretty morbid and disgusting humor, but but <laughs> it made us laugh. He didn't walk right for a week. <laughs> Well, well, that's because he was dead. (laughs) Alright, another Wendigo story is from the Ojibwe tribe. is retold by S.E. Schlosser on AmericanFolklore.net. The storm lasted so long that they thought they would starve. Finally, when the wind and swirling snow had died away to just a memory, the father, who was a brave warrior, ventured outside. The next storm was already on the horizon, but if food was not found soon, the family would starve. Keeping his knife and spear close he ventured out into the most frequently used game trail, watching intently for some sign in the newly fallen snow, of animal footprints or movement of any kind. The forest lay deep and oddly silent under its gleaming coating of ice and snow. Every creature of sense lay deep within its burrow and slept, still the warrior hunted, knowing how desperate his family had become. As he moved through eerie stillness, broken only by the soft caress of the wind, he heard a strange hissing noise. It came from everywhere and nowhere at once. The warrior stopped, his heart pounding. That's when he saw the blood-soaked footprints appearing on the path in front of him. He gripped his knife tightly knowing somewhere watching him was a wendigo. He had learned about the wendigo at his father's knee. It was a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory, and those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. The warrior knew he would just have one chance to prevail over the wendigo. After that, he would die, or the thought was too terrible to complete. Slowly, he backed away from the bloody footprints, listening to the hissing sound, Was it stronger in one direction? He gripped his spear in one hand, knife in the other. Then the snowbank to his left erupted as a creature as tall as a tree leapt out at him. He dove to one side, rolling to the snow so that his clothing was covered, and became hard to see in the gray twilight of the approaching storm. The wendigo whirled its massive frame as the warrior threw the spear. It struck the creature's chest, but the wendigo just shook it off as if it were a toy. The warrior crouched behind a small tree as the creature searched the torn up snow for a trace of him. Perhaps one more chance. The wendigo loomed over its hiding place, its sharp eyes seeing the outline of him against a tree. It was bent down, long arms reaching. The warrior leapt forward as if to embrace the creature and thrust his knife into its fathomless black eye. The wendigo howled in pain as the blade of the knife sliced into its brain cavity. It tried to pull him off its chest, but the warrior clung to the creature, stabbing it again and again in the eyes, the head. The wendigo collapsed to the ground, bleeding profusely, almost crushing the warrior beneath its bulk. He pulled himself loose and stared at the creature, which blended in with its white surroundings so well that he would have not seen it save for the blood pouring out from its eyes, ears, and scalp. Then the outline of the creature grew misty and it vanished, leaving only a pool of blood to indicate where it had fallen. Shaken, the warrior, heart pounding with fear and fatigue, turned for home. He was weakened by lack of food, but knew that the storm would break soon and he would die if he did not seek shelter. At the edge of the wood, he found himself face to face with the red fox. It was a fat old creature, its muzzle lined with gray. The creature stood still as if it had been brought to him as a reward for killing the windigo. With a prayer of thanksgiving, the warrior killed the fox and took it home to his starving family. The meat lasted for many days until the storm had blown itself out and the warrior could safely hunt once more. Now, I think the author, or at least over a few generations, there were some creative liberties taken with the original story. But I included this one as it's a good story that accurately portrays the terror of the Wendigo. So, what'd you think of that story? It
1: was, it was good. Pretty good? It was, it was good, yeah. Pretty intense? Was, uh, no, that was it, that was really, I mean, it was really good, you know, aside from our jokes. Yeah. yeah. It
0: was good. I'm probably going to edit out all those jokes anyway. Oh, so, are you? Yeah. I have to. It's a dramatic reading. That is true. I, I'll, I'll, I'll probably include a blooper trail for this one. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I'm just, just laughing. <laughs>
1: This one this episode with bloopers. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean it's your it's your your common story.
0: Yeah, like really. Yeah, it, it's sort of a sort of predictable story where right. he's gonna overcome the Windigo, but he and then find enough food first family, happy ending and all that. But it does show that the Windigo was definitely a monster that was real to the Algonquian I just tribes. Don't like the, name. the what?
1: The name wendigo well it's you, not scary it's not a scary name there are other
0: names that like when i was doing the intro there's Achin, Chenu, or k also
1: that was just, okay or there's Wenteeko. wendigo reminds me of winnebago
0: the, like like it's a killer rv yeah like a christine Like you a know Chris, the story
1: of christine
0: i i do not what <laughs> what's
1: christine christine it's the um stephen king oh. the, the killer car oh
0: no No. Oh. Well, doesn't whatever. remember you're not a little Although in *Pet cemetery Stephen King mentioned the Wendigo, he was the, the Wendigo was the one that cursed the cemetery itself really? in, in the story. At least in the book, I think. Well, I, I don't think I know because I, I did research movies.
1: on that. Say I watched the movies. Did not talk
0: the about the Wendigo in the movie. Books. Well, I didn't read the book either. I was just doing research on the Wendigo, and that popped up. All right, you want to start reading our next yeah. little story so here. So is
1: dramatic. Is this a dramatic reading?
0: To a certain extent. No, nah, it doesn't have to be. You can just. So, there's a couple words in here for you. So, Gabriel Julets. So, there's Jesuit missionaries. Um, there's, these are French guys. So, we have... Claude de Uh Gabriel. Here, let me look up this one. Joulet. Jou- Jouletines. Juletis. Jouleties. <laughs> <Joulettes. laughs> just call him Gabriel Baguette. <laughs> oh, man. There's no pronunciation on this. So you're just going to have to wing it. Uh. It, well
1: it's French, right?
0: It's French. So it'd be the, the Sweet S, S Fathers. Isn't, the S isn't pronounced it. It's Jesuit.
1: Jesuit fathers. Jesuit fathers and uh Gabriel,
0: it'd be Gabriel uh Droulette. Because the S isn't pronounced. Droulette. Just say Droulette. Just say Gabriel Droulette and Claude Dablon. Dublon. Dablon Claude, Deblon. Claude Deblon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what I'm going to do in any French town. I'm going to just go real aggressive French
0: give it a dress <laughs> Claude de Blanc <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> if we have any French listeners I'm so sorry but I doubt we have any French I listeners know. but there's always a chance yeah. maybe we'll, we'll one make day. It, maybe one we'll day. make it big one day one day
1: might as well start trying because I know i going to have start. to restart a yeah. hundred damn times. Just
0: remember it's Jesuit because you'll be saying that a few times. In the 1600s, French Jesus mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did no purpose. <laughs> well, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, missionaries. <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just hee-hee-hee? hee,
1: hee, hee? <laughs> <laughs> In the 1600s, French Jesuit missionaries would often mingle among indigenous tribes in America and Canada as diplomats and would attempt to convert the tribes to Christianity, but had little success. The Jesuits still stayed among the tribes teaching core Christian beliefs, but respected Native American culture as the missionaries relied heavily on the tribes for survival. Jesuit father... <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much.
0: <laughs> okay. okay.
1: Jesuit fathers Gabriel Julets and Claude Dublon were traveling through what is now Quebec to Hudson Bay to establish missions in the region. They traveled with fellow Frenchmen as well as a number of Native Americans. The region at the time was plagued by a terrible epidemic of a mysterious sickness marked by severe convulsions. The Jesuits were concerned by the reports given to them when they arrived to their destination as stated in a 1661 document. What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the reports given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and cause them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and, as death is the sole remedy among these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness.
0: You did it! Holy
1: crap!
0: Woo! I should have brought some like stickers or something. Gold star for you. Oh god! Made Damn. it through.
1: You know, you know what I thought was interesting was the uh, the comparison to werewolves.
0: Yeah, they're they're French, so they're coming from Europe, and in Europe, especially in France, the werewolf mythos is kind of really big there. This experience actually has a lot of similarities to werewolves, to so where people would somewhat transform and then pounce upon other people.
1: This like the the. American werewolf in Paris or whatever, you know, stuff like that,
0: right? I was going for more traditional old French legends, but yeah, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing where they turn animalistic and start attacking people. So it makes sense that these Jesuit missionaries were comparing that to werewolves. Another thing, I mean, I mentioned this in the gin episode, but another thing that you can compare this to, especially now, they're sort of being possessed is the Judeo-Christian demons because where they're sort of possessed by a spirit and then they don't act like themselves, they act evil. So that's another interesting comparison because, you know, maybe these djinn, demons, wendigo, maybe we're all talking about the same thing, but through a different cultural lens.
1: Yeah. Wow. Like my mind (laughs) also (laughs) went... I was just thinking of the past episodes. I did
0: not mean to blow (laughs) your your mind. (laughs) 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 That stuff happens to me. All the time. <laughs> right, anyway. that'd actually be terrifying if you're like traveling uh, with these Native Americans, and then they all of a sudden you you hear about the disease go around where they're just going crazy, and then that happens to your own deputies, and then you got to put them down because that's the only cure that they know of for this disease.
1: The concept of the Wendigo has seemed to change over time first descriptions were that of an ice giant or a skeletal creature both of which were flesh and blood creatures that hunted the wilderness for men to feed on later on it was described as a spirit that possesses a person and hides among humans disguising itself as a beloved family member until it feeds it has evolved from a complete transformation of both the mind and body to a transformation and corruption of the spirit, where the host starts to crave human flesh above all else, and eventually succumbs to the urges.
0: Yeah. So in the first story, it's more of a flesh and blood monster, or in the first couple stories, it's a flesh and blood monster that you know they have to fight or take off somehow. But we see, as when Europeans start to arrive in there, it's more of a spirit that possesses. So this is the in body. zombies no dead. like when it's no it's it's similar to a zombie in its physical form uh, as in it appears like a gaunt skeleton you know no lips jagged teeth and right. all that stuff but now it's sort of evolved into the spiritual form and this is from this is from an actual account from these uh, so it's, missionaries.
1: A, it's a poltergeist
0: yeah well less poltergeist more exorcism or the exorcist uh, yeah Yeah. Okay. yeah. So another story is, this is another true account. Swift Runner was a Native American of the Cree tribe. In 1879, he returned from his winter trapping camp without his wife or children. When he could not give a satisfactory account of their whereabouts, his in-laws became worried. They decided to tell the Northwest Mounted Police who had been in the West for just a few years. Swift Runner brought the Mounted Police to his winter camp and explained that his family had died of starvation during the winter which was an all-too-real occurrence for the Cree at this time. The police, however, noted that Swift Runner showed no signs of starvation. Swift Runner showed the police the grave of his son, which the police exhumed and found no signs of foul play. However, searching the area revealed human bones scattered throughout the encampment. It started with dreams. A Wendigo spirit visited him in his dream, calling on him to consume the people around him. The spirit eventually took over Swift Runner, who killed and ate his own wife. He then forced his eldest son to kill and dismember the younger. Then Swift Runner hung his infant child by the neck from a lodge pole. He had eaten them all. He had then broken the bones and sucked out all the marrow until nothing remained. The mounted police brought the Cree man back to Fort Saskatchewan along with the mutilated remains and was promptly put on trial. The jury found Swift Runner guilty of murder and cannibalism and he made no attempt to defend himself. Gallows were built, and standing on the platform, Swift Runner acknowledged what he had done and thanked his jailers for being so kind to him. They put the noose around his neck, and he died without a struggle. The Wendigo continued to evolve into a mental state known as a psychosis, a severe mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with external reality.
1: The following excerpt is from Chris Hibbard.wordpress.com. Some mental illnesses are uniquely connected to culture through a combination of psychiatric and somatic symptoms, Uh, somatic being uh, nervous system-like symptoms. They are considered to be a recognizable disease only within a specific society and are known medically and anthropologically as culture-bound or cultural-specific syndromes. There tend to be true biochemical or structural alterations of any body organs or their functions, and these diseases are not widely recognized in other cultures. One example of these culture-bound syndromes is the Wendigo psychosis, linked to Native American culture, even more specifically to the northern tribes, such as the Chippewa, Ojibwa, Cree, and Inuit. This psychosis usually developed in the winter months when families were isolated by heavy snow and had inadequate food supplies. The initial symptoms, thought to be psychosomatic of the Wendigo psychosis, were depression, distaste for most ordinary foods, and subsequent poor appetite, nausea, and vomiting, followed by periods of semi-stupor. Gradually, the victim becomes obsessed with paranoid ideas of being bewitched and is subject to homicidal and sometimes suicidal thoughts. He feels that he has been possessed by the Wendigo spirit or monster and it is controlling him. It is this delusion that gives the psychosis its name. An affected person may see the people around him or her turning into beavers or other edible animals, leading the victim to become violent, homicidal, and cannibalistic. It is commonly thought that once this stage is reached and the victim has tasted human flesh, he or she must be killed. Ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists hotly debated the historical accuracy and or legitimacy of the phenomenon in the 1980s, and some researchers argued that Wendigo psychosis was essentially a fabrication, a mistake by naive early anthropologists who recorded stories related to them at face value, without understanding the underlying metaphor to the tales. While the frequency of Windigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th century as forest and tundra-dwelling Algonquian people came into greater contact with Western ideologies and more sedentary lifestyle, there is substantial evidence to suggest that Windigo psychosis did exist, including a number of credible eyewitness accounts, both by Algonquians and by Westerners. Interestingly enough, the Wendigo tales seem to have taken root in Algonquian societies only after first contact with Europeans, implying that there are ritualized responses to the more explicit threat at hand, colonizers.
0: So here we see the Wendigo sort of change form again. First, he went from the traditional stories from being flesh and blood monster to a sort of spirit that possesses people. Paranormal. But now uh, Westerners are classifying it as a psychosis of some sort, and they're saying here that it could be brought on by the intrusion of Western. Well, colonizers. how much of this
1: stuff is drug induced? I mean,
0: in my research, I actually found nothing that linked the Wendigo with any sort of drug-induced stupor or anything um, like that. It seemed like most of these stories, or in most of the cases in which Wendigo psychosis existed, they didn't. It, none of them mentioned anything about. Uh, getting drunk or mushrooms. anything about any sort of mushrooms and I know they didn't have peyote in this part <laughs> of this because this is, this is around the Can- Canadian Michigan Great Lakes area. but it is interesting how that became more of a prevalent issue as colonizers were pushing into this area. It could be stress related. It could be stress related it could very well be stress related. They're losing or at least sharing their homes with these Western strangers and they're coming into their lives out of nowhere. So, like it says right here, they were ritualized responses to what they perceived as a threat. And as we talked about earlier, the Wendigo always represents a threat of some sort to Native American lives. So, it could be that. And so, what they were talking about earlier is they were trying to verify the legitimacy of Wendigo psychosis, like whether or not it actually existed. Yeah. It seems to me, between all these different... Because we're only putting in a few stories here, but there's a lot more. And including, you know, the story Swift Runner. I mean... Obviously, he murdered his family, and then he was claimed that he was possessed by a Wendigo.
1: I mean, that's probably how um, Amityville... Amityville Horror? Amityville Horror. Same. I mean, could be the same. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, Or something
0: something in
1: his head. Yes, absolutely.
0: Now, many of the stories led me to believe that the Wendigo did exist in some form, whether it be monster or spirit or psychosis But many anthropologists believe that the traditional legends are not just ghost stories, but often portray the Wendigo as threats to Native American life. This is the final evolution, the Wendigo as an allegory. Maybe that was all it was meant to be perceived as. The Wendigo could represent starvation, a very real danger to the Algonquian tribes that live in the cold north. The Wendigo was there to reinforce cannibalism as a taboo and to discourage it, even at the most desperate of times. Another factor that may point to the Wendigo representing starvation is that in many of the legends, the Wendigo was killed by or killed because of cookware. So, you know, cookware, starvation and all that. Mm. Interesting. Uh, The Wendigo could have also been a metaphor for the breakdown of family structure. In the book I read, this was the primary metaphor that they used it for. It represented concepts which could undermine the family. In these stories, women were often the protagonists and the family, the creation, destruction, or survival of this family was featured prominently in these legends. The Wendigo represented someone who was out of balance, both internally and with the people around him. Native Americans experienced real terror of the Wendigo, not only of encountering these creatures, but also being transformed by it. Finally, the Wendigo could have represented greed, Excessive greed was a method of transforming into the creature, according to legend. Wikipedia describes this metaphor. In addition to characterizing individual people who exhibit destructive tendencies, the Wendigo can also describe movements and events with similarly negative effects. According to Professor Chris Shedler, the figure of the Wendigo represents consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation, through which groups dominate other groups. This application allows Native Americans to describe colonialism and its agents as wendigos, since the process of colonialism ejected natives from their land and through the natural world out of balance. Ojibwe scholar Brady DeSanti points to the 1999 horror film Ravenous as an illustration of this argument equating the cannibal monster to American colonialism and Manifest Destiny. This movie features a character who articulates that expansion brings displacement and destruction as side effects, explaining that Manifest Destiny, and Western expansion, will bring thousands of gold-hungry Americans, Over the mountains in search of new lives, this country is seeking to be whole, stretching out its arms, and consuming all it can, and we merely follow. Wow. Yeah, so... We made it. We did make it. We made it. We made it. Oh,
1: thank God we
0: made it. You know, when I was first writing this episode, I I was like, this is going to be super dark, and in some cases it works, works because, you know, with other legends we've done... You hear about people dying, but there's like no documentation of it, so you don't know for sure. Whereas this one, we do have documentation of people dying, either due to this Wendigo psychosis, or you know maybe an actual Wendigo spirit. And I find that interesting because this makes the Wendigo real in some sort, in some form. Yeah, it is real, and uh, luckily. The Wendigo seems to have died out and is currently non existent right now. There are no new Wendigo reports coming out, thankfully. Well, it could
1: have been renamed to something else. Yeah, yeah, it could have been. um,
0: It could have been, you know, one thing we didn't talk about Schizophrenia. Yeah, I was about to say one thing we didn't talk about was actual mental disorders uh, attributing to the Wendigo psychosis or the Wendigo I think as
1: as we've evolved uh, over time, medically, this stuff has. You notice if you go back to forever ago, you know, sixteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, it seemed like everything was more everything was shifted towards the paranormal or, or mysterious yeah, creatures because they and blah blah blah. Because
0: they couldn't explain it any other way. Whereas
1: now it's more medical medical terms. Yes, because
0: we understand that it's an actual mental disorder, and then we can usually look at the symptoms and apply the appropriate label to it. Whereas back in the day, they they didn't know that much about medical disorders, and usually those people were just labeled as lunatics or just insane or witches or possessed, possessed being a big one, especially along with Christian terms. And in the same sense, these Native American cultures were possessed by the Wendigo spirit but the weird thing about it is being a psychosis is culturally bound which means it only happened to certain cultures in one area this wasn't like a widespread thing so that really gives you the influence of culture over someone like exactly if you live in a certain culture and you can develop a totally psych a totally different psychosis that you don't see anywhere else and i think that's really interesting because i would like to do more Cultural-bound psychosis is like this, because I find that really interesting. This is definitely the most well-known of them, but I'm sure there are more out there.
1: I've never heard of it before this, though. I mean, I've heard of branches from it. Right. But the word, like, Wendigo.
0: Right. I mean, there are a lot of pop culture works that include the Wendigo in it. Like I mentioned Stephen King earlier, that game, uh, this new horror game, Until Dawn. Well, it's not new now, but it's relatively new. Until Dawn came out, one of the They use that word? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I use the word Wendigo. I think a Wendigo, I haven't played it myself, but my friend has, and Wendigo was like the primary antagonist mm. of it, in which people turning into the Wendigo due to eating cannibalism. Even Marvel Comics has a literal Wendigo character. Someone's transformed it into the Wendigo by eating flesh on Canadian ground. Huh. So that's kind of how they did it, because they knew cannibalism was a thing like in other huh. countries, but if you eat it specifically on Canadian ground, that's when you turn to the Wendigo, according to Marvel Comics. So, I thought that was interesting. So, various pop culture references have been made to this legend. So,
1: what is a Wendigo? Creature? Spirit? Psychosis? Metaphor? Or maybe all of the above? Whatever it was, it's definitely frightening folklore. Thank you so much for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. Please follow us on social media. If you have a question, comment, or a suggestion for a future episode, you can email us at snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Logo design is by Ethan Rothus. All music heard, with the exception of the intro and outro, is by Kevin McLeod and compotech.com and me at darkpiano.com. Possible tracks played include Crypto, Day of Chaos, Evening of Chaos, and Static Motion. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next hunt.